If you haven't read Quillette yet, you need to. Quillette is a, a place for thinking people. If you if you don't mind, if you think getting uh, angry at somebody else's opinion is the way to go, don't read Quillette. If you like intellectual stimulation that makes you stretch and think, read Quillette, Quillette.com. Um, Colin Wright has just written an article for Quillette. No one is born in the wrong body. He's an evolutionary biologist, uh, and I'm not sure I understand all of uh, all of his uh, uh, his charts and everything else here, but I think I do, and I thought you should hear it too. Colin Wright, welcome to the program. Hey, thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. Yeah, you bet. So tell me your tell me your point, which is heresy today. Yeah, so I think before we get into sort of what the you know the article is about. It's important to really briefly talk about what it's really not about, because many have kind of uh, have and continue to paint this as sort of like this anti-trans or transphobic article where we suggest that trans people don't really exist. Uh, So this isn't isn't what we're saying at all. We acknowledge gender dysphoria is very real, often debilitating psychological condition. Uh, In serious cases, maybe transitioning one's body to appear as the opposite sex, uh, you know, could probably reduce these symptoms. We, we, We don't deny any of that. Uh, what we are concerned with, however, though, is that vulnerable children who may be displaying um, sort of sex atypical mannerisms or personalities, so maybe tomboyish females, effeminate males, they're being told that, um, that they maybe have been born the wrong body or are trans, whereas in reality, these cross-sex stereotypical behaviors is completely normal and is far and away more predictive of later homosexuality than being trans. So I guess... What we're saying is that we worry that our society is sort of pathologizing gender atypical behavior, which is contributing to this dramatic rise in adolescent gender dysphoria that we're seeing. So there's a couple of things that come to mind on this. And 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 this is the point of when I uh, was introducing you on uh, are we are, you know, we're just accepting these things and just throwing them in. And are we doing more harm um, the way gender dysphoria is being taught and and so widely embraced, you I agree with you. I mean, there's all kinds of things that happen with our children. But studies show that what is it, 80 or 85 percent of those who are, are probably now being told are have gender dysphoria. They grow out of it and either become straight, gay, lesbian, bisexual, but not transgender. So aren't we actually targeting the LG and, and Bs and, and leading them into saying, no, you are definitely a T? Isn't that wrong? Yeah, I think it's been sort of described as a sort of, sort of new conversion therapy, whereas, right. whereas in the past, you know, we've... We've been against conversion therapy, trying to tell, you know, homosexual youth or even adults that uh, try to convince them out of their of their same sex attraction. And now what we appear to be doing is we're conflating gender atypical behavior with being born um, potentially in the wrong body. And so instead of just allowing these youth to grow up into um, what is most likely going to be a homosexual adult, we're essentially now doing a new form of conversion therapy where we're saying, no, actually, you have these sex atypical, you know, stereotyped behaviors, um, you're maybe more likely to be born in the wrong body. So we're, we're converting them, homosexuals, to trans identities uh, instead of out of their uh, homosexual behavior in, 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 um, 
as we've done in the past. So what's driving this, Colin? You know, that's hard to say. There's, there's been an uptick in sort of gender identity replacing our discussions about biological sex uh, almost across the board. So I've, I've just been noticing this just in the last maybe five years, but just in the last two maybe even uh, even more prevalent where I, I see individuals, these are academics, these are um, people who have PhDs or are in grad school, and they're sort of, I guess, having this narrative that biological sex is sort of a spectrum or it's a social construct and that we just need to listen to people, what they say about what their biological sex actually is. You know, we see this ideology of um, people not, not being, you know, having their sex described at birth, but they're having their sex assigned at birth. Uh, and sort of this conflation just with, with sex atypical behaviors with biological sex itself, whereas in reality, over 99.98% of all individuals are going to fall unambiguously into one or the other sexes. Um, but this gender sort of ideology, which has many different definitions, sometimes many conflicting, and there's many times the definitions are quite circular, seems to be taking precedence. And we're not really, our society is not really prepared for what, what will actually, what this actually means if we were to replace, say, biological sex with this um, subjective identity in law. We're seeing this in sports. We're seeing this in um, the prison system. We're seeing this in who's admitted to a certain uh, rape shelters, for instance. So the the consequences are, are quite dramatic, and we don't seem to be really appreciating that, or at least half of society does not seem to be appreciating it. Yeah, I was going to say, there's lots of us that appreciate that and, <laughs> yeah. and, uh, and are saying, wait, wait, wait. I mean, you're, and, and, and what I fear, honestly, Colin, is a, is a, a backlash um, because it's starting to affect average people who don't have any hatred or anything else. But, you know, I've got a daughter and she's in volleyball and a guy, you know, comes in volleyball. He's just he's built differently. And, you know, or if if she's a, you know, a runner in long distance uh, running or whatever. And some guy says, I identify as a female. Well, now he can run on the team and you're just you're hurting women. You're hurting women. Yeah, we're seeing this conflation. So I've, I've usually called it the, the univariate fallacy, and it's basically people will point at any single trait uh, that exists between males and females, and they'll show that, like, oh, look, there's, there's so much overlap in these traits that, you know, we can't say that any one trait is specifically male or female. So we have, you know, males are on average taller than females, um, and but then people will say, you know, well, I know some woman who's a lot taller than most sure. males that I know, and so this is evidence that there's no real sex differences. Um, but the thing is that these these small differences, these small average differences in many different traits, these often stack up as well. So if you look at sort of a multivariate approach to males and females, we see that males are by and large quite different than females, especially in the realm of athletics. Uh, so we com you commonly hear people say that you know males and females come in all shapes and sizes or something like that, and that you know we shouldn't. Uh, prohibit any male from competing against females because, you know, well, here's, a, here's an example of a really tall female. Um, and that's just, frankly, quite absurd because, you know, even though females come in quote-unquote all shapes and sizes, it's, it's no random chance that no female has come in 
the size and shape that's been able to compete in sort of the NBA or the NFL. And these are leagues that don't actually bar female athletes from competing. It's just that no individual has ever, no female has ever been able to compete in these leagues. Uh, one quick thing to point out, too, is that these small differences in just the average traits, say a height or strength, uh, even though there might be substantial overlap among the general population, when we're talking about things like sports, we're talking about the extreme, the elite of the elite. And when you look at the tail ends of these distributions uh, in, you know, of the elite of the elite, we see that these are way more dominated by males, like proportion-wise. So we can't look at our everyday experience, kind of use this as a, as a metric for how the extremes are going to behave. Tartic Colin Wright, he's the evo- an evolutionary biologist at Penn State. His uh, piece in Quillette is, no one is born in the wrong body. Uh, hey, Colin, I'm curious to your thoughts on be- being in this community, because we hear a lot of the experts who would disagree with you, who would say the exact opposite of everything that you've said so far is, you know, when it comes to summarizing these things. I, would you say that it is more of a political uh, opposition to what you're saying, or is it a scientific one? Is there a large scientific community that actually does not see these things that I think the average person sees as basic human facts of existence? Yeah, so I, I do see it as being driven largely by politics. At least that's influencing um, their conclusions. I, I, don't, I wouldn't say that this is done intentionally. I don't think these people are being dishonest. But I think they may be more difficult for them to really spot the fallacies in their own arguments that they're making, such as when I referenced before, um, you know, sometimes people will look at a a univariate metric of differences between the sexes, and that fails to take into account the multiple ways that males and females differ. Um, I've I've tried to point this out on, you know, threads on Twitter and articles that I'm writing, but um, I haven't seen this actually refuted in any coherent way. Um, And the, the fallacy is pretty much just stand for themselves, and even if we criticize them, they, they tend not to go away. And the main method they seem to be using to sort of silence voices like mine and others doesn't seem to be actually engaging with, with our ideas and the content of what we're saying, but it usually is um, sort of just the, you know, you're a bigot, you're a transphobe, oh, look, you're publishing in Colette, this is a yeah. mag- magazine that's known to publish, you know, race science or, you know, whatever they yeah. want to accuse, just sort of a guilt by association, they'll point to some some problematic figure that might agree with you and they'll say like, oh, you also agree with this one person who's, you know, a, a bad individual, so therefore you are bad too. So yeah. uh, it's l- largely the silencing tactics that are being used, which is really uh, quite aggravating. So does this make, Colin, your world, I assume you always, you grew up always wanting to be a scientist. Um, does this make, is science in a, a golden era or a... Uh, or a, a, you know, not dark ages, but headed towards a seeming dark age where if you're, if you don't agree, you're a heretic. Yes, it's, I'd hate to sort of lump all of science into this. So there's certain fields that are more plagued by this sort of ideology than others. So I wouldn't, I don't think particle physics is particularly influenced sure. by, by sure. gender. But in, but, but in your, as a biologist, as an evolutionary biologist, yeah, so I, I definitely see it among grad students and even faculty. And before, because I published another Quillette piece before called The New Evolution Deniers, where I mentioned similar types of things. And I sent this to mentors of mine, people that I, that I knew sort of agreed with me in my professional circle. And the consensus from basically everyone I sent this to was that uh, you're absolutely correct. 
but you cannot say this. This could be uh, just career suicide. You know, I'm, I'm a postdoc right now, so I don't actually have a faculty job. I'm, I'm applying to faculty jobs, but they mm-hmm. are told that this could be just suicide for my career. And I've spent over a decade of going to school and five years in grad school to get my PhD. And, you know, this could just be made, you know, nullified overnight if the mob would decide to just, you know, write one big hit article where if someone Googles Colin Wright, this, you know, they just see transpho bigot, you know, what, what have you. Um, so there, it is definitely an issue within my field. It gets worse, I think, when you go to the, the psychological uh, sciences, um, worse when you go to sociology, worse when you go down to women's studies, et cetera, et cetera. But these, these other fields are definitely um, influencing uh, my field, too. And there's, there seems to be a sort of, a, sort of a, almost an Orwellian thing going on where if we criticize social justice, you know, social justice in their minds, they, a lot of people sort of equival, uh, equate that with just civil rights. So if you say, I'm against this social justice ideology, they are here like, oh, you're against civil rights. And so you really can't win. It's almost, you know, you think, I disagree with the, uh, you know, the uh, Department of Truth. It's like, well, you disagree with truth. So there's sort of this language game going on where it's hard to actually engage with the ideas without immediately being just painted as a as a bigot in any way they want to, so they can dismiss you. Um, quickly, because I've only got a few seconds, but what made you decide just to do it anyway? Um, mainly because I've always been interested in sort of the larger um, sort of meta-narrative around science and defending science. I used to defend evolution from the young earth creationists mm-hmm. back in the mid to late 2000s, mm-hmm. and I just realized how much I kept sort of self-censoring as I went through graduate school and uh, and, and after. And I got to a point where I realized that I just, I'd much rather live a life where I can speak my mm-hmm. mind freely than uh, sort of lived sort of this zipper-lipped life as an academic uh, and, and just go this one around where I can just study my, my ants and wasps and my, my narrow field, but have to remain silent on everything else. So that wasn't a that wasn't something I was willing to sacrifice, I suppose. Good for you. Good for you. Colin Wright, evolutionary biologist. Uh, the Quillette, Quillette piece is called No One is Born in the Wrong Body. Uh, you can follow him on Twitter at Swipe Right, spelled with a W. Thank you so much, Colin. Appreciate it. Oh, thank you. Appreciate it. Thank you. A solid Twitter name right there. Yeah, it is. That is a solid yeah, one. Yeah, it is. <laughs> All right. I'm, I'm fascinated by that study that he mentions in the article, uh, Colin Wright, uh, that 85.2%, 85.2% of younger people who have childhood, uh, childhood onset gender dysphoria, basically thinking you're the wrong gender when you're a kid, 85.2% said uh, that they wound up remitting after uh, puberty. So later on in life, they figure, they find, ah, yeah, that I'm actually fine in my own body. 85%, the majority of them, as you pointed out, wind up being LGBs. So we, we transfer the LGBs into Ts, and the conversion therapy point is a great That's one. Great. I mean, because now the thing that they oppose, to the extent that they want to make it illegal, which you may or may not agree with, with uh, the idea of conversion therapy, but essentially it boils down to free speech. Mm-hmm. Right. Like you should mm-hmm. be able to tell somebody that, hey, I think you shouldn't be gay if you want to be that person. I, I mean, that person might not be popular at parties, but that person has a right to say whatever they want. Mm-hmm. And the idea that 85 percent, you know, it's like this is not something I've seen any material disagreement with, which is why I asked him that question. 
uh, about whether it's just political or scientific. It does not seem to be that there's much of a scientific stand-up against this study and this general idea that most people who think that they're a boy when they're a girl at a young age wind up figuring out later on, ah, no, I was wrong on that one. Well, they they said that it was uh, 0.5% of the population was T. And now uh, kids are at 2%. So it was 0.5%. Now kids are at 2%. And they're wondering, you know, A, first of all, autism uh, plays a role in misdiagnosis. Uh, If there's any kind of, if you're on the spectrum at all, there could be real misdiagnosis Mm. of this. Um, And and what what happened? Is it just because an eight-year-old decided that they wanted to be a girl? I mean, are there really that many? Really? Well, I mean, eight-year-olds think all sorts of different things. I know they do. You know, I've got one, and he's awesome. But, you know, he does not think he's a girl. But uh, everyone thinks different things. You know, I mean, this is when you're you're young, you, you come up with ideas that maybe you don't stick by your entire life. Perhaps you've also, in your life, in your life experience, have had different thoughts from when you were eight as you grew older. Mm. Perhaps that's something that you've also experienced. Mm-hmm. I mean, are these are no. these tough questions? <laughs> Apparently I, in this society, yes. I guess so. By the way, I'm going to so. be a teacher in your kid's school just to screw your kid up. Oh, good. I'm going to tell you, so <laughs> hippopotamus. <laughs> I'm moving. Did I tell you that? <laughs> this is the Glenbeck Program. This is the Glenn Beck Program. Welcome. I'm so glad that you have uh, joined us today. We, um, we want to talk to you a little bit about um, what happened with Joe Biden over the weekend. Mm. Uh, looks, like, looks like his son, Hunter, has come out and, and said, Hey, uh, you know what? Um, maybe, um, uh, maybe I shouldn't be in China. <laughs> I mean, if my dad wins. If my dad loses, I'm definitely going to be in China making all kinds of money. No, you're not, because they're going to fire you. Well, he did step down from this board, right? Yes. Um, so that's a big deal. And uh, now there's a big exclusive interview coming, I believe, tomorrow mm-hmm. with Hunter Biden <gasps> on talk- talking about all of his stuff. Mm. You wonder kind of this is an amazing thing, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, they, certainly the you'd think the Biden campaign would not want to deal with this, but I think they might just want to get out well, in front of it, too. Especially especially the day of the um, debate. I mean, Whoa, which think I think about how a bad interview could go for Joe Biden, which I don't understand here, Glenn. You have an opportunity, you think, to get your stars, the stars of your party, the Democratic presidential candidates up in front of people to have a, a nuanced and detailed discussion about the facts and matters of the day. And you have an opportunity because people are used to it already with 12 candidates qualifying. You could have two six-person debates where each person would have time to actually discuss these things and not give soundbite answers. They always complain about that. Oh, you want us to give soundbite answers all the time. And instead of that, the Democrats opt for one night with 12 people on mm-hmm. stage. Mm-hmm. So now you're going to get even less time to actually talk I mean, these guys are going to have five or six minutes each to discuss all of these issues. Right. Why would you do something like that? Well, because nobody would really have time to really have to explain, oh, I don't know, uh, Hunter Biden or uh, the scandal or gun control or abortion rights Mm -hmm. or anything else that they know is really unpopular with the American people. I know. You know, we give the media a hard time and rightfully so. However, they are doing... 
the bidding of the Republican Party on a daily basis. This CNN LGBT equality forum thing they did gave Democrat or Republicans commercials until the end of time mm-hmm. on every one of those candidates. I mean, uh, the what the uh, Times did with asking all 19 candidates, do you support these specific gun control proposals? And when you find out that all of them support massive quantities of these proposals, and some of them things that they used to mock the NRA for being alarmist for even doing, for even proposing, oh, they're not going to come for your guns. They don't want a national gun registry. That's ridiculous. Now, it looks like almost half of the candidates do. Yeah, I know. And the, even the New York Times is like, wow, this has come a long way pretty fast. Yeah. Just a few years ago, they were against it. Yeah. Now they're for it. Yeah, I yeah. know. It's weird, isn't it? It's like they took their masks off. 30% of Democrats, in elected Democrats, voted against bringing back the assault weapons ban only a couple of years ago. Now every single candidate supports it. In fact, if you're not for it, the New York Times says you probably can't be... Yeah, it's a baseline. Yeah, you, you, you can't be a Democrat. I mean, every single one does. You know, of course, I don't think it's constitutional, and uh, I don't think it was constitutional when it was implemented, but I don't really don't think it was now after the Heller decision, which is something that they never talk about. Because the, remember, when this thing Why was... Why do you it, keep talking about the Constitution? I mean, there are things we have to do, okay? There are just things we have to do. That's not how our system works, uh, unfortunately. Seemingly it does now. Yeah, well, that's true. It's that, not and that's another reason why you, you only have a minute apiece. You can't get a follow-up question like, how do you want to do this legally? How are you going to do this yeah. legally? And they don't, it's just like the thing with um, Biden, or excuse me, Beto, when he said, uh, you know, uh, do we want to restrict uh, churches with their tax-exempt status if they do, uh, just oppose same-sex marriage not even activists on it but they just don't think it's a good idea should we get rid of their taxism status and he said yeah and it's easy to say that in a forum like that because you say yes and the crowd cheers and you say a couple of lines of platitude to move on when you have other candidates if you had a wide spectrum you'd have other candidates pushing back but no one seems to do it no one's really hitting biden on his son hunter right and this is going to be interesting to see tonight on tv if i may give a quick plug you are coming up with some of the questions you want to ask Hunter Biden in this interview. Yeah, but I don't think them. any of them. Oh, just it's kind of like um, it's like a lottery ticket. Right. Okay, we don't think our numbers are going to be called. No, but these are the questions that I think we should we should ask Hunter Biden. They're not going to be asked. I mean, why if you are Joe Biden, why would you have your son come out on the weekend before the the big debate? Mm-hmm. And have him say, yeah, I'm going to quit China. I mean, they had me at hello, but I'm going to I'm going to quit China now. Mm -hmm. Uh, Why would you do that right before and then have him speak to ABC News? Yeah. Why not wait to release it? Release it on the day of the debate. That's insane. Why not wait until after the debate? It's very strange. And, you know, look, the Biden campaign for for everything that Joe Biden is and is not, you'd think he'd have competent campaign people around him, right? Like, this is a guy who was vice president for eight years of this country. He's, he's the front runner, and he does not seem to be able to surround himself with people who can figure out very basic things about how information should be released or what he should be talking about on a particular day or his approach when you have an issue. How do you, how do you respond to it? They seem to be terrible at this and terrible at fundraising. Like, these are the, the built-in advantages you'd think a guy like Biden would have. 
He's he's got he was the freaking vice president. He's got all the people around him. He's made friends with everybody. He was in Congress for seven hundred and ninety one years. You'd think he'd have campaign people who were competent around him, and so far that does not seem to be the case. Well, does he have all the Hillary people around him? <laughs> Hopefully. Maybe I that's mean, what he did. He just I hired mean, all the Hillary people. Seriously, he's yeah. running it like Hillary. What you were just describing, he has all the fundraising capability. He has all the connections, all of the friends, been around forever. That's Hillary. It's true. Although Hillary did raise money. I mean, she had plenty of money. I'll at least give her that. Joe can't even do that. she She was selling access. Yeah, but, you know, you think Biden's above that? I mean, that's what this whole scandal's about. And let me give you this, too, Glenn. We started we started this a little bit last week, and we never got through it. Okay. You are Burisma. You are a Chinese uh, corporation associated with the national government. Uh, you're a bank. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you are t- tightly tied to the government. And you're just going to hire Hunter Biden with no experience, mm-hmm. uh, with no obvious reason why he would be hired. And he's mm-hmm. going to be paid not $50,000 a month, which would be completely ridiculous to pay him, but much, much more than that. Mm-hmm. I mean, it seems like it was more like $200,000 a mm-hmm. month mm-hmm. to do these duties. Uh, all that aside, all of his experience aside, the guy's just plainly a mess. Yes. Okay. And yes. a lot of us are a mess. I'm not saying this to, mm-hmm. to beat the guy up. Mm-hmm. We all have our issues. Mm-hmm. But uh, Hunter's got a, a, a specific set of issues that would not indicate he should be hired for a high-level position anywhere, even at, like, Cinnabon. <laughs> okay? Now, let, well, let, I don't know about the high level. I would be a little uncomfortable with him just <laughs> working the counter as well. <laughs> exactly. Right. Uh, anything that has to do with money, I don't right. think I want this guy right. I don't know. Let me just walk you through quickly. This is his life history, and I'm not making any of this up. Okay. Okay. He was uh, he in when he was young at college. He was drinking obviously a lot, which is a lot not odd at all in college okay he would occasionally use cocaine once hoping to buy campaign or cocaine he was sold a piece of crack he didn't know how to use the drug but he tried the crack and didn't uh, really get do anything okay but that's, yeah, it's young he's he's in he's in college lots of people do crazy things in college remember though that this is a party mm-hmm. that held multiple hearings about how much brett kavanaugh drank in college got it okay but mm-hmm. they're totally cool with the cocaine and the crack, the crack and all those stuff. Yeah. okay now we go on to 2003. He started drinking again. Uh, 2003, he goes with his wife, uh, Kathleen. They go to Washington. Um, his wife told him, hey, get sober. And he's decided he was not going to drink for 30 days. Okay, mm-hmm. so, And he didn't drink for 30 days. Exactly. 30 days. Exactly. And yeah. then on the 31st day, every time he would start drinking again. He was, he, was, mm-hmm. he was proving that he's not an alcoholic. An alcoholic couldn't stop for 30 days. It sounds exactly like a story you've told me about yep. not drinking during the day. Yep. You, alcoholics don't drink, would drink during the day, and I wait till 5 o'clock every day. Yep. <laughs> and, yep. and justifying that it's not, you're not an alcoholic. Then, uh, on Sept- that's September, this is 2003, business trip. Uh, they look up rehabilitation centers and goes into rehab. This is the first rehab trip. Uh, after they return, he goes into AA, okay? So we're in 2003 still. It gets rockier, though, because you're not going to not hire a guy in 2016 because of what he did in 2003, obviously. Uh, however, he had a relapse in 2010, so he did go like seven years there. Good for him. Um, which is great. Seven years. He drank three Bloody Marys on a flight home uh, from uh, on a flight to Madrid on business. Less than optimal. He, he continued to drink in secret for several months. Yeah. He had another relapse in 2013 mm. after he hov- uh, sh- suffered an illness and he was prescribed painkillers. In May of 2013, 
The night before Hunter's first weekend of reserve duty, he stopped at a bar a few blocks from the White House. Outside, Hunter said he bummed a cigarette from two men who told him they were from South Africa. He felt amped up as he was driving to Norfolk and then incredibly exhausted. So maybe he had a laced cigarette there in 2013. Mm. Okay. Boy, Still this 2013. Guy's, this guy's luck with... With drugs. That All sorts gets, of stuff. He keeps he buying the, wrong, the thing. wrong thing. He just wanted a cigarette. I know. It's Man. so sad. So sad. A few months later, Hunter received uh, a, a letter saying that his urinalysis had detected cocaine in his system. That's mm. uh, a bit of a problem with the military. Tried to get his drinking under control in July 2014. By the way, I just want to tell you that this is about the time he gets hired at Burisma. Okay. Yeah. In the middle of all this, this is when he's getting hired. Tries to get his uh, drinking under control in 2014. He went to a clinic in Tijuana that tried to cure uh, alcoholism with a... An, a, a Chicken a, livers? With a... Something with a root of West, West African shrubs. It's illegal oh, in America. Oh, yeah. Okay. okay. Yeah, sure. Those work all the time. Yep. AA fraud. Right. The West African shrub, shrub treatment. Shrub treatment. Yeah, Big. that works Now, time. after that, he left, came back to the United States, goes into rehab again. This is 2014 mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, in Arizona. Mm-hmm. Uh, then he goes on. And again, this is now he's working at Burisma. Uh, he has a trip back to Washington. He told uh, after the funeral uh, for his brother, Bo. He tells his wife that he was thinking about running for public office. She pointed out that he only recently had been discharged from the Navy after testing positive for cocaine. They rode the rest of the way home in silence. Not a healthy relationship, per se. Couples therapy, Hunter and Kathleen reached an agreement. If Hunter started drinking again, he would have to move out of the house. A day after their 22nd anniversary, Hunter left a therapy session, drank a bottle of vodka, and moved out. Later that month, uh, he and the Burisma co-founder are in Norway on a fishing trip. Hmm. A guy who's been in all this rehab. Hmm. The Burisma co-founder drinks with him. Happens all the time. All the time. I like to take my alcoholic co-workers out. And you guys do this to me all All the time. time. You're like, hey, Glenn, nothing could work. Nothing could hurt this company if you were just drunk. No. Let's take you out for a drink. No big deal. Certainly not something you would do to gain leverage over someone. No. Okay. Uh, 2015, he's in rehab again. Early 2016, he becomes a shut-in and only leaves to get vodka. And uh, goes back to rehab again in 2016. This is all when he's working for these big companies. Yeah, well, they're totally, like they're, they're only paying him 200 grand a, a exactly. month. Exactly. 2016 in Monte Carlo, he has cocaine in bathroom in the bathroom from a stranger. 2016, on his way to rehab, he loses his wallet and buys crack. Why do you hate Joe Biden? To th- the next week after that, a few more trips to get more crack. Again, we're in 2016 now. Uh, in fall 2016, he has a fight outside of a bar. He then gets a, he moles around town doing drugs, gets a rental car from someone and crashes it. The rental car people bring out a new car to him. He brings that and he crashes it again. Then he winds up thinking he had a hallucination while driving, drops the rental car off and the rental car people go in to find white powder all over the dashboard. Again, we are in 2016. He then goes, finally gets a divorce and uh, and then goes immediately to a strip club uh, where he drinks more. This is all in the middle of him having a wife, getting divorced from the wife, then getting together with the girl, the wife of his brother who passed away and beginning a relationship with her. Then they then, break up. Then in 2019, he marries a woman he had known for a week. No, that's not true. Ten days. Ten days! (laughs) Sorry, that's true. Yeah, no, but uh, I'm sure... I... I, uh, 
I want to spend more time on this on uh, tomorrow's program, but I, I want to pass this by you now. People are wondering, you know, how does this work for the Democrats? How is this going to work with this impeachment thing? Why do this? Especially why do this to poor Joe? Well, uh, first of all, they I don't think they actually care about Joe Biden, but they think that they can go around it. And we'll see with with the press tomorrow on how they actually talk to Hunter Biden about all of this. I don't think they're going to actually go after him uh, at all. In fact, Chuck Todd said this weekend he won't tolerate any questions about uh, Hunter Biden because he thinks that he's fine. They didn't do anything wrong. So they believe that this is just going to weaken Trump so much with an impending impeachment. Now, this impeachment, if you remember, if you were alive during Watergate, they had all the tables set out. All of the impeachment hearings were done in public. These are all being done in secrecy so they can control what's leaked and what's seen. Watergate was in the open, again, causing more Trump fatigue. Um, they, they believe that even if this causes and backfires on them somewhat and Biden goes out, they believe that the Trump fatigue will be so high that Warren would be elected. And what they're planning on doing, I think, is the impeachment vote will go yes in the House. But it's going to happen sometime after the holidays in the spring. Then it will go up to a vote for the Senate. If the fe- Senate says we won't take it up, then they change the campaign of we need the House, the Senate and the White House. And they will make the case that the GOP is completely uh, corrupt. If they do a trial, it will help on Trump fatigue. And they will say, because they will vote no, the Republicans, they have to win the House, the Senate, and the White House. This is a Senate strategy. The Glenn Beck Program.